You are listening to the Savage Fincast, episode 87, a shell of a lot of issues. Chicago. This is the Savage Fincast, the show that's a little green in the gills. My name is Jim Purcell. I'm Craig Olson. I'm Raven Perez. And uh, we got a very special, unique, green episode to get into. We don't have a new Savage Dragon issue uh, to review because they've been a little thin on the ground this year. Uh, We're intending in the very near future to do a retrospective on all the Savage Dragon going on for 2019. All uh, six issues. But we got to do a little bit of catch up. Because we have not been keeping up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Urban Legend series like we had initially intended. Uh, too many interviews. Too many cool people to talk to. Getting not in the enough. way of the real content you're here for. Not enough dragon issues. Yeah, well that's the thing. Because uh, with the with the lack of dragon issues, we haven't been able to pair them up. Yep. Uh, so it's easier when your book was made 15 uh Wait, what year is this? Uh, 30 years ago. <laughs> 25 years ago and all you got to do is color it and reprint it they come out mm-hmm. on time when that happens yep like clockwork so we're going to do a little bit of news segment just to catch us up for all the news for the end of the end of the year because it's uh the end end of november when we're recording this and we got some news we want, just want to make sure you know listeners have probably already heard but let you let you hear it again uh <laughs> and then we're going to crank through urban legends 13 through 18 to get caught up it's going to be a beefy little episode. Uh, could be a little chunky. Just like I like more women. So, uh, <laughs> let's get into that news. <laughs> Take it away, Craig Olson. What are we starting with here? Savage Dragon number 250. Oh, crap. So, this is the big one, folks. Savage Dragon 250. They just released a solicitation copy... And a list of covers because you knew there were going to be variant covers with this. And so for two fifty, we have actually is it normal for there to be variant covers? I mean, uh, some of them there have been one or two, but this seems like a lot. I don't remember like issue one hundred having this many covers. Two twenty five did though. Yeah, two twenty five. Didn't have only, right? didn't have like three or two hundred did. I oh. mean, there was like the blank one, the Fosco one, two different Larson ones, right? I think Maybe so. less guest artists, but... Oh, that's right. He had two different trade dresses for, for 200 Something like that. Yeah. We'll but now we got 250 and we've got an amazing list of artists uh, that are contributing covers, which I am super stoked to check out. So um, we got cover A, which is the Larson cover, which has been posted, and we saw that, and that's the callback to uh, the miniseries issue one cover, but now we've got Malcolm... Um, and now the additional covers announced. We're going to get one by Frank Cho. Awesome. Rob Liefeld. Can't wait to see his take on it. It's been quite a long time since we've seen him draw a Savage Dragon. Uh, Walt Simonson, which is going to hopefully be amazing. Like one of my favorite artists. Yeah, dude, that's going to be uh, sick. <laughs> he did Dragon once as a pinup, right? Or he did in 100. He did a dragon backup but eric inked it so i just want to see just like walt simonson like alone 
And then we're also getting a Scotty Young cover. And then on top of that, we're getting a blank cover, which we had gotten before, but it was with like the newer varsity letter Savage Dragon title. So now mm-hmm. we're getting a new blank cover with like the original Savage Dragon title. So uh, the comic's going to be 100 pages, 10 bucks. So for all you completists out there, when you add it up, it's 60 bucks if you want every cover. But come on. Yeah. Savage Dragon. <laughs> Come on, wait, wait. wait you're, what are you implying? That we should pay $60 for Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I am, yeah, show up. I, I, am, I am, as someone who's anti-variant, that is a, that is a weird uh, take to me. Show up. I'm, Why would I I'm want to spend $60 on one comic book when I could spend $60 on many comic books? Because, here's the trick. You're only going to get a Savage Dragon 250 once. Then, <laughs> it'll never happen again. It's not like, Jim, it's not like with your corporate comics where they just poop out like the same shit. Say, for instance, Amazing Spider-Man 347 was to just show up years <laughs> later for no reason. I mean, that's not special, but Savage <laughs> Dragon 250, how many times in our lifetime are we going to get that? Once. Once. So buy it six times. Yeah. I'm doing it. I'm I am too. In. I 100% <laughs> am. Sorry, guys. I can't agree with you on this one. It's okay. It's each his own. But so when you show for up those who like it. When you show up at the convention, Jim, you're like, Hello, Mr. Larson. It's me, <laughs> Jimmy, from the podcast. Jimmy. And he'll be like, Yeah, chomp, chomp on his cigar. I'll be like, I heard of you once. Kid. Yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy who? Little Jimmy Purcell. Good to see ya. And you'll be like, oh, geez, Mr. Larson, could you sign your name on my cover A of 250? And I'll be like, oh, of course. And then I'm like, hey, Eric, it's Raven. He's like, oh, Raven, you're so cool. And I'll be like, I know. Calm down. Anyway, could you draw on this sketch cover of 250? I bought all the covers, so I have this. <laughs> he'll be like, oh, no problem for you anything. $600. Well, you know, whatever it takes. <laughs> I'm just saying, you want all Don't covers. put this on eBay, kid. You want all covers. Now, let's say hypothetically, though. Jim, you're telling me you don't want that Walt Simonson cover? I mean... Which cover are you going to get? Who, me? Yeah, yeah you're, you're going to pick one. Always get the fucking interior artist cover. Okay. Rule okay. number one. Rule number two. Don't <laughs> buy variants. Rule number three, never wear the band's t-shirt that you're going to go see in concert. Really? Is that a rule? Does yeah, it make you, you never, does it make, does never it make, wear... The shirt of the band you're going to see. Does that make you look like a tourist? Kinda. Or a tool. So, what if I wore Taylor Swift to a Wu-Tang Clan shirt? It's fine. Totally fine. Yeah, you'd probably be a hero. Cool. All right. Now, if you wore a Taylor Swift shirt to a Taylor Swift concert, you'd still be a tool. But you'd be a tool even if you didn't. All those girls, all those little girls just eat you alive. Just bones, blood and bones. Just because you wore the Taylor Swift shirt to the Taylor Swift show. I'm learning so much on this fincast. I just want to say... But I no, I, I'm pretty... I don't know, I, I don't like variant covers. Cause I, okay. cause for, the, for the exact reason, people will buy six copies of the same book, and I believe, deep down in my heart, that that harms the comic book industry. I get it, but I don't think that this harms the comic book industry. It's not like he does it every issue. Exactly. Like a certain Ninja Turtle comic. I think it. <laughs> I, I think it's a ploy to boost order numbers for most books. 
think yeah, the, I think that's fine though for Savage Dragon. You know what? It's an anniversary issue. That's the only time he seems to really do them. Yeah. Let him make some dough. Plus, on top of that, um, uh, I am one hundred percent positive that that Frank Cho and that Walt Simonson cover are going to just blow your goddamn balls off. I'm sure they're going to be great. I'm sure they'll be fine. I don't know. I'm not a Frank Cho fan. Although, I mean, he's not I a good ha- artist, though. I mean, he's fine. It's not like his soul is on the cover of this issue. <laughs> it's his soul? <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying, like, he doesn't matter. It's his art. It, like, I guarantee he will draw a great... Remember his pinup? The last yeah, The absolutely. last Cho pinup was way back in Savage World. Yeah. I guess, that was, like, the sign getting slammed into yeah. the... Yeah, that was great. And he's so much better now. He's, like, fucking he, got that he weird... actually is a lot better now. <laughs> He's improved a lot. But he's always been awesome, though, honestly. He's, he's always been good, but he's better now. He, like, Raven's just, like, good. I said awesome, dude. Oh, well, he's awesome. He's awesome. All right. All right. Cool. Now, question. Do you think Scotty Young's cover is going to tie into I Hate Fairyland? Or is it just going to be a cutie dragon cover? You know what? I think that'll be the one of the more interesting of the covers. Because it could go any direction. Although, I bet it will be... About the kids, ah, specifically. Ooh, very he'll, smart. He'll do like a, like a, like the Does Calvin, Scotty like Young the Calvin only, and Hobbes thing. Only draw like that cartoony style, or does That's he it. draw more of a? My, I don't know quite enough about his career to comment. I'm ninety percent sure that that is his house style, which is fine. I the earliest memory I have of him was doing like a Wizard of Oz like series. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure it looked the same or similar to his current like I uh, hate fairy. I'm looking look. his stuff up, and it looks like he did like a Deadpool stuff. I don't know, like uh, regular. Looking. I'm sure, like most artists, he has a range. He just kind of draws what he yeah. the way he likes. But I bet you're right, though. If he's doing his like little like cartoony style, it's probably gonna feature the kids on the cover. Yeah, that's just a thought that I had. I bet now, you you're right. Here's a real question. Oh wait, is he doing Middle West? No, he's writing Middle West. Okay, that explains Here's that. a question. It's time to make a bet. How many characters will Liefeld put on the cover? I'm betting... One. One. I'm betting two. One. Two and... Or one or two, but... Uh, now nah, I'm cheating, but... It's definitely going to be like pinup style. And it'll be Dragon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, oh, original Dragon, not even Malcolm? Yeah. <laughs> I bet. That I would bet just you're be, right, dude. No, come on. No. And, you and you won't be able to see his feet. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be shitty. You know I'm, saying? I'm saying I bet it is Dragon. I bet it's original Dragon and not even Malcolm. No, I don't think so. I mean, come on. I mean, he's doing a cover to two fit. It's not like he's just doing some random issue. It'll he's just, doing it'll a cover just, it'll just be for two fifty. Oh, he's gonna, gonna respect the material. I was gonna say it would just be Bad Rock, but now I realize he doesn't own Bad Rock anymore. Oh, oh low blow. Oof. Sorry, low blow. sorry, Rob. Rob. <laughs> well, go ahead and finish off the solicitation, Craig. Uh, you know what. I think I want to pass the torch. I, I really enjoy hearing you, if you don't mind, read <gasps> the solicitation. Could. I think the, the listeners prefer you to read all solicitations. <laughs> well, here we go. Eric Larson, Savage Dragon Hits Issue 250. 
For 28 years, Eric Larson has chronicled the lives and times of Dragon and his extended family in one of comics' only series set in real time. This monumental oversized milestone is a sweeping culmination that sets the stage for the next phase of comics' most uncompromising series with its most shocking story yet. Forces have conspired against Malcolm Dragon and his family, but is this the turning point or the end? Find out! as Savage Dragon becomes the second original image title to reach its 250th issue and begins the countdown to 300. So I'm pretty sure it's not the end because the countdown to 300 has started. What if it's the end, dude? I was what if it's the that. end for Malcolm? What if it's the end? Maybe Malcolm gets taken out and it just turns into like a book about the young kids. I'd be, or, I'd be down for that. Or... I was thinking about something. I was like, what would you guys think if he was just like pulled a fucking walking dead and was like, I just realized this was a good place to stop. Yeah, but again, I, I think Jim's right, though. That last sentence begins the countdown to 300. Why would they bother putting that in? Could Trick, be a fake a out. Fool. Walking dead had fake solicitations for their next upcoming whatevers. What would you guys think if Savage Dragon 250 was the last issue of, two, of Savage Dragon? I'd be very sad. I, my sadness would be overwhelming. Yeah, I'd be fucking shook the fuck up. I would sure. be bummed. I would probably this has like go... been one of the the only constants in my life for like how many other year. You know what I mean? Like whatever happens and like like look at the past twenty years. Like there's always Savage Dragon. There's always an issue of Savage Dragon. How many things are out there like that? You know, Savage Dragon is your rock. Well, I was hoping, I hope that's not what it is. But I was thinking that. I was thinking to myself, I was like, wouldn't that just fucking flip everyone the fuck out? If he was just like, meh. Because, I mean, you know he's only doing it because he just loves it. At least we'd have another 170-something retro fin cast we could do. <laughs> yes, we could fill that time. <laughs> just keep the torch going, you know? <laughs> oh, Lord. Please let it not be so. I'm excited for this issue, though. Oh, and it yeah. sounds like there's going to be a big quo change. Like, I don't know. Every issue solicitation reads like this these days. He's always so vague. Know, he's, always, he's always so vague about it because he's always making it up as he goes. He's he's making, for my observation, he's basically making covers and then filling the story in behind it most of the time. Yeah, but I feel like with his anniversary issues, he always makes some major issue happen. Like there's like when you look at like the fifties, a hundreds, well the round those, try, those anniversary issues. My memory always is something as, major. My happens. memory's not as good as it used to be or ever, but I remember issue two hundred not being a massive change. Are you sure? Because that was Kinda... that was the issue where Dra uh, Malcolm Angel and Average Dragon just kind of teamed up for a fight, right? No, two twenty five was where Average Dragon died. No, no, no. I'm not talking about when he died. I'm oh. talking about when they just kind of had, it, like, a barroom brawl. Yeah. I, I feel like there was no major, like, status change, that issue. Maybe not. Was that when it started getting more sexy? No, that didn't happen for a little while. That might have, but there were other ones where, you know, definitely, like, drag, everyone thought Dragon died, and he became, like, William Dragon on one. Yeah, you know, that was, was that like, was issue 50. Um... 100, where the complete universe was destroyed. Uh, issue 100, 
I, wait, was no, the universe wasn't destroyed in 100. The universe wasn't destroyed in 75. Day. 75. Oh, so. right, right, 75, yes, for sure. 100's big thing was that he stayed in the Savage World. That was yeah. the big status quo change, because he had been fighting to get home, and then he decided to stay. Man. Oof, I don't know. All I know is it's going to be good. I'm excited. I oh, yeah, I, I, I it's going to be awesome. The hype is, I'm in the grip of the hype already. But I, I don't know. These days I just kind of take it as it comes. Uh, I like to speculate, but this is a hard series to speculate about sometimes. Because it, do, <laughs> it, it does sometimes feel like stream of consciousness mm-hmm. from Eric. And so I feel like it's almost impossible to predict what he's going to do next. Because it isn't like he's got this, I mean, he's probably got a plan, but he doesn't have a, like, a grand intric- intricate plan. Mm-hmm. So, right. if he doesn't have a plan, God help you trying to predict anything. <laughs> I think he's got, like, a big outline. Like, it's not made issue, every issue isn't planned, but I think he's got an overarching kind of... Broad strokes. I mean, we've talked to him in interviews, and I just don't get that sense anymore. No. I, I really do. At times, I don't. But I gotta imagine that he's got something planned that he knows of at this point. For 250. Yeah, I think he knows oh. what's happening in 250. Yeah, I'm sure he probably knows, like, the major, like, event in 250. How he gets there, that's another question. Anyway. Lots of crazy shit in play. So what do we got next for uh, news? Uh, we got, well, to tie in with uh, this episode's topic, uh, Frank Fosco has revealed the cover to Nin- uh, Ninja Turtles Urban Legends number 24. Uh, this is the first issue that will contain new material, not previously published, an image. Because the image issues ended at 23, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, Correct. and incomplete. So he will, this is the start of the three-issue conclusion that was the entire point of republishing this series. Which is pretty awesome. It's pretty pretty, pretty awesome that, again, the chance, not, that doesn't always happen. No, it, How many years it's highly it unusual, actually. I'm really uh, happy for Frank and Gary because I think it's cool as shit that they got to conclude this because I've really been enjoying it. At first, yeah. I was like luke, more lukewarm waiting for the dragon stuff to happen. But then as we got more into it and I started to like fall into the narrative of what like the turtles themselves were just doing... It, it it got me, you know. I'm into it, like you know, big time. So it's cool as shit that they got to finish this and put it in color for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Although I really hope that IDW does the old double dip and prints it in black and white too. Mm. I'd love it. That would I don't be think awesome. They will, but I I don't think it's the kind of thing IDW does. They're like allergic to black and white, in my experience. You know, they just took Weird. over. They just took over publishing Usagi Ujimbo, and like, they they're planning to reprint it all in color. Like the ghost of Ted Turner works at IDW. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Colorizing everything. Yeah, I just got to color. Oh, right, right, right. Because okay, was he one of the ones who was doing that to the movies? Uh, yeah, it was him. TBS. He had the old. I see. He was colorizing shit. Look, shit looked like a pastel nightmare. Jesus. <laughs> 
Well, I'm very excited, and the cover is cool. It has Pimico and all the turtles on it, so that's neat. And Frank has been doing new, like, alternate covers for the reprints, but this is right. his first, like, new, new cover. So, no, all the alternates are new covers. Well, that's what I said. The, oh. Well, no, the A co- Frank's been doing the A This co- is the first, like, brand new issue cover. Right. That's what I said. Oh, all right. Play the tape back. Well, don't get crazy here. <laughs> well, just to be clear, he's been doing new covers, which are the A covers. The B covers, the variant covers, are the reprinted covers from the previous run. Right. And then there's uh, so he's making Eastman's he's doing ma- he's his make- own covers too. Oh, he is. Yeah, I didn't know those were there. I never even saw yeah, those. Kevin Eastman. So you you read the digital version, right? I do. On the hard copy is the inside cover. Shows. Maybe the digital has no, it, it too. doesn't. They're blank. It's blank. There's a big empty space. It's very annoying. Really? Yeah. So it doesn't give you like the credits or the story so far. It, it gives me the credits, the story so far, and a big empty space where there's what? obviously supposed to be cover previews. How weird! It is very yeah. strange. I don't like it. Yeah, the hard co- the the hard copies have all three covers on the inside it, front cover. I don't know why they do it. I think I think it's incentive to make you buy print, and which means fuck you. That's a really so, dumb incentive. Like you're going to see that little white square yeah. and just be like, "Oh my god, I need to buy this." <laughs> the um the Kevin Eastman covers are retailer incentive covers. So cover A and B, yeah, you can just order as much as you want, and then the Eastman are retailer covers, but. There, um, Kevin Eastman's been killing it on some of these covers. I, yeah. I really enjoy his his takes. It's yeah. neat to see him because he's actually he's not just doing pinups of turtles or anything like that. He's actually putting like each issue's like story elements and incorporating it into the cover. Well, that's yeah, certainly cool. cool. Yeah, so, like cool. for for issue twelve, like he has his his cover is like them staring out the window of Vanguard's ship. Which is pretty cool, but you things to, like that you get to are, see him like drawing Raph in the Shredder armor and shit. Like it's cool, man. Yeah. Um, speaking of Kevin Eastman, there's a on Netflix. There's a TV. Sh- there's a show about uh, the toys that made us. Oh was yeah. It all? yeah. And there was an episode in the current season about Ninja Turtle action figures. Oh, I gotta watch that. So there's a very cool interview segment between with, with Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman about their experiences creating the turtles. Mm-hmm. Did they have Stan Leroy's Leaping Lizards? <laughs> no, no. No, they did, they, <laughs> they did not, unfortunately, talk about that particular toy line and Jim Lee's involvement. <laughs> of course not. Why would you? <laughs> uh, but it, it was fascinating, and the situation with Kevin Eastman with the with the sale to Viacom, because Kevin, uh, Kevin Eastman sold his stake in turtles to Laird years prior. Okay. And so when Laird yeah. sold to Viacom, Eastman got nothing from the sale. Oh, but, makes sense. But when the when the IDW series happened, everyone went to Eastman for consultation, and then that's why he's been involved so heavily in the IDW stuff. Is that because they've been paying him to do it, be the cons- the primary consultant? Uh, but he still must have got paid from Laird because. Ninja Turtles are already like that's not what the uh, interview said. What? Yeah, because he sold a stake, Larry. Yeah, but but his stake was worth so much when he sold it. It had to be. It's oh, Ninja well, Turtles. Oh, yeah, he made money when he sold it, but not as much money as Vi- that Larry. No, but Vi- I'm just saying. Larry still... sold it. Uh, Larry sold the Viacom for like sixty-one million dollars. 
But I gotta imagine that East he bought Eastman steak for for millions as well. well maybe, maybe not sixty one, two, two or but... three or four. Really, that's it. And and then of course when Viacom had the rights, apparently one of their first fiscal years they made like three hundred plus thousand million dollars in turtles merch wow. sales and TV shows and such. I can't believe that's all that. I don't know. It seems like it would be. And and Laird continues to retain the rights to self-published Turtle comics if he ever so desires. Wow, that's Which fucking is actually awesome. pretty cool when you think about you know corporations being monsters. That's that's an amazing deal because you can just be like, ah, I just want to make my own series, yep. and no one can stop him. Well, <laughs> and then I can be like, oh, the other series is fake. This is the real shit. That's fucking bananas, dude. I'm pretty sure in the contract it says that's the one thing you can't do. They say, this is real, that's fake. Yeah, but you can just hint it. I yeah. mean, everyone would be on board. I mean, to be fair, it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would be. Like, what's coming from Nickelodeon is not the yeah, same as a... what's coming from the creator. Right. So. Imagine, like, Eric Larson sells Dragon has the same deal, and it's like, I'm gonna keep you making know, Dragon Larson comments. would be on Twitter and be like, you could read Company A's, but if you want to read real Dragon, you know, like... <laughs> You want to read my shit? That's the shit that counts. You know what's funny? Remember when fucking Eric bought Ant? Yeah, and like yeah. for just a hot minute, Mario Gully was mad. Mario made Bug. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And it was just Ant with like brown and like the word <laughs> Bug spelled with two Gs. I'm just saying that's exactly what it would be like. It's like, no. <laughs> you, can't. you can't. You just can't do that. The Savage Lizard. <laughs> Oh, Lord, dude. No. All right. Do we, we got any more mail? or uh, Mail, no. Uh, I Not mail. I'm sorry. News. Oh, you know what? I never actually checked. Hold on. Let me check the... The last piece of news while you're looking for that is Amazing Spider-Man 347 is getting reprinted in January 2020. For Larson fans and aficionados, it is a must-own reprint. The house ads will be included. Uh, it will be a facsimile exactly. They're not going to stuff it full of new shit. So it's kind of cool if you want that little time capsule moment. It's got the Alas, Poor Spider-Man, I Killed Him Well cover. Right. Venom holding the skull like Sergic. You know what's... York, not Sergic. Yeah, right. It's Yurik, yeah. Yep. You know what's weird, though? What's weird? You can buy a digital copy of that book right now for $2. And when this comes out, you can have the privilege of paying $4 for it instead. Well, that's what I don't understand either. Why is it 4 bucks? Because that's how much comics cost to print. But yes, no, because they're reprinting all their old shit for like a dollar a piece. Oh, you mean you mean Marvel, uh, the Marvel First, or the yeah? Well, they're different. I'm pretty sure most of that cost is relicensing the ads, because I don't suspect that's cheap. Because you really, I I don't I I don't know how they do it, how they get away with it, I dude. Because like all those true believer issues, like bullseye number one or but no, know, none, none, none of those have the old house ads so they all i mean the old uh um actual ads yeah ad ads but it's not like they're paying the artists anymore they've already got yeah. all that shit it should be know. cheap Whatever. i agree yeah whatever I, I don't know the the actual numbers but i bet they're it's because they got to pay snickers that's weird hey you know speaking of are, as fa- you think Fosco and and Gary are uh, getting paid anything for these reprints, or I, just for the new stuff? You know what? We can't really speculate about that because we don't know. I'm sure Gary. Well, that's what I'm saying. Getting I don't paid know. for his covers. I'm sure, and not Gary. What I'm saying, Frank is we getting paid be, for his covers. You know, we're allowed to say what we think. They should. Be. Right. I'm not. I don't know. They're likely. I'm, just, I'm not, wondering if they get a cut of anything. I doubt they they got any. Uh, 
uh, residuals, uh, to be honest. That's another thing. Again, like four bucks for a book that basically, well, I mean, it's got to be recolored, but. The coloring. That's about it. The new printing. Well, coloring is expensive. I mean, it's going to run you about 2000 a book. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not cheap to color a book. So, I mean, 2000 low, I think, too. Well, yes, you would think that these books would be cheaper because the bulk of the work is done. But you'd be fucking well, wrong. I guess you know what though, if it helps four dollars ensures that we get to see the conclusion. Yeah. Then alright. I mean there's that too, because it yeah, you could be banking the money to pay the cause you, I assume Gary will be getting being paid for writing the last three issues he's writing. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sure they don't do it for free. Yeah. So. Well plus two, um it is uh cool just to have these made available. So to a small yeah, extent absolutely. I mean these are hard to get. So to a small extent it's kinda like the little bit of like the uh, you're paying just for the fact that this is a hard to get item these days, you know? What right, I mean? right. But I think it's really more that comic books cost four dollars, so you're going to pay four dollars for this comic, so we can make a little bit more profit on this book, so that we can spend a little bit more money on the next book that isn't all reprints. Basically, it's it's a way to because like why do graphic novels cost thirty dollars when it's all reprints? It's because it's profit. Is all it really boils down to is just getting more, more profit out of your your back catalog. Yeah. Well, no, I get it. It's business. It's business. You can't see me. I'm rubbing my <laughs> fingers together. <laughs> <laughs> For the listeners at home, Jim had his fingers rubbed together. <laughs> so Should shall we uh, jump into the meeting? The uh, as long as we cheese? didn't get any mail. No. Nope. No. Nope. Nobody loves us. The meat and cheese and pizza sauce. So issue thirteen is the last issue. Well, is the only issue that we're going to be re- uh, covering tonight that has Vanguard in it. Can we? Can we just do because I guess you know it's been a while since we talked about turtles. You know we've been doing it during the regular FinCast episodes. You want to do a quick recap? regular? I mean by the the current issues, not the retro issues. Can we do just a little recap of like the kind of the three storylines going on currently? Okay. Like we got the the mob storyline, the mob foot clan storyline. Yes. The, uh, yeah. So, what's the background on that? Just uh, for the listeners. Well, it's a little convoluted because it's partly about trying to kidnap uh, Casey Jones' kid Shadow because this biological uh, father was. Uh, so it's the Puzzarelli mob, right, or yeah. whatever? Is that what they call him? Yes. Yeah. So. So the the boss is what he's the father. He, he, his his son impregnated Casey Jones' girlfriend before Casey Jones was dating her. Yes, right. The she daughter, had a kid. Shadow is like the a mob a mob guy's kid. So he's trying. But the mob guy wanted nothing to do with the kid, right? Right. The grand, but the the father did, I guess, because he needs an heir. The grandfather. Yeah. Right. And the the mother. That was dating Casey Jones died in like what the previous Mirage series? Uh, yeah, I think that was a uh, yes. Yeah, you're correct. So Casey Jones has kind of like custody and treats Shadow as his own daughter. Yes, right. And now the mob in the beginning of this urban legends, the mob went after and kidnapped Shadow. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the turtles like intervened, right? Turtles intervened. The foot they hired the foot to capture the, the daughter. No, they did, or they just the did foot, themselves. 
the foot, I'm trying to remember exactly because it has been a while, but the foot and Raphael came to an understanding that Raphael had to kill somebody, but I can't remember who he was supposed to kill. Mm-hmm. But he, he saved Shadow, but he brought a, 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 whatever the circumstances He made were. a deal with the foot, and now the mob is, like, pissed at the foot, right? Right, and but, he, but Raph also uh, messed up the deal, so the foot was also pissed at Raph. Right. And at the time of this issue 13, well, issue 12 just happened, right? And the mob came in and wiped out, like, a bunch of the foot guys. Yes. Yeah, like the they were foot shooting council. them up. And so where we stand on 13 is the aftermath of that. And right. remember, too, that the foot, actually, I think Raph killed Shredder in a Mirage title. And so uh, the foot is actually without a leader at the moment. And, okay. And so that's why it was such a big deal, because the, there were just three ninjas that were kind of like head ninjas that were just sort of like keeping the foot together. And that's why the Turtles and Raph had a like a little treaty because, like, they were like, well, you know, we, I mean, we fucking killed Shredder. He was the asshole. Like, we, you know, the foot will just leave you guys alone as long as you leave us alone. Yeah. And so that was kind of the truce. Okay. So that's where we stand on that. Then the second storyline going on is this Death Watch character. Right. Who's, like, also, like, a, he's, like, an alien hybrid. He's, like, there's the serial killer Johnny Lee Rayburn. Okay. Who was like part of a weird science program where they were sending inmates on kind of like almost suicide space missions, but he came back and he was fused with Death Watch. So you've got like a serial killer slash alien hybrid in some alien symbiote fused with him and came back to Earth. Right. And, and so s- now, last issue, he was back on Earth, and they and whereas Raphael was dealing with the Foot Clan and the mob shit, all the rest of the turtles were. With Vanguard searching for Rayburn Death was Watch. Go- Rayburn was going around killing people that led him. Death Watch was going around killing people that led to him being killed. And the gotcha. Turtles and Dragon busted his shit up in Chicago. And uh, he took off. And they tried to track him to that one little town. That's in like Arkansas, 13. Right. Where he was from. Right, right. Okay. And, and then that's the, where thirteen starts. They're they're in Arkansas, right? They're trying to and find we'll get through that when we get through thirteen. Right. And then the third storyline that's kind of been hanging around is that when Splinter was injected with the synthetic mutagen from the Komodo guy, right? It turned him into like a bat creature, correct? And so he's still kind of flying around out there. Yeah, he's rabid. He's out of his mind because the bat had rabies. Gotcha. So that's where we stand. And there's also at the end of twelve, fourth right? kind of ongoing storyline involving Donatello in his armor. Uh, right. Although that's sort of tied in with this story, it is kind of a separate story that will gotcha. feature heavily in these next few issues, where they think that Donatello is dead, and it's just the kind of cybernetic robot part that's alive, right? Right. Yeah, Rayburn Rayburn told him, he's like, well, I killed him. And the armor is telling him, the like, whole time the armor's like, no, you know, your brother's dead. And he's like... He, he's, There's no signs of life, right? Yeah, like, I'm just a symbiote, like, on your brother, but your brother's gone. Okay. And so that's where we open on 13. Yep. Yep. So when 13 opens, the, the boys are there in April, and uh, the boys in April are trying not, to hunt not him a- down... Not April. Not April, shit. Vanguard. Yeah. <laughs> and and his woman. Roxanne. Roxanne. <laughs> Who is also a, re- also a reporter. So, yes, easy easy confusion. 
Well, I love this scene. I'm going to say that, like, so I told you, like, I came around. Like, I was originally only really into this for the dragon elements. Mm -hmm. And then I really have come around. I Like, I think Gary and Frank did a really good job in this series, just with cool moments. And this scene where they're in the diner and, like, all the people are dead, that's creepy as shit. Yeah. Like, this is a really cool scene. Uh, One thing I want to add is, since we went through all these little plots going on, this is some of the stuff that I miss... That Savage Dragon used to do it's, where you had four plot lines yep. all it's, kind of hanging around. I love that. It's way denser than things are now. Yep. Yeah. And oh, yeah. in some ways, it's actually a little bit too much because there's a lot going on in this series. Dude, it is dense as hell, but I still like it. I just like how everything's kind of get getting connected and moving and flowing. And people come out of the, the comic and then they come back in four issues later. And I, I just enjoy that. It always just feels like rapid and something's happening yeah i do think here's what's so weird is like okay like this is like a little side tangent but it's kind of like i feel like um like again we were talking about like i think i said this last uh fin cast but like dragon is kind of right now like we we say like dragon has eras like the family friendly era the like naughty era the savage world era you know and i swear to you i think that like dragon's era right now is the standalone issue era. Yeah. yeah. Like, I swear to you, that's the direction. Like, that's where I, he's... Yeah, I absolutely know it. he's doing it on purpose. He's, he's talked about it. Emphasizing that over everything. And so, I, I, I get it that, like, you know, it's completely... They are totally at odds. Like, if you're trying to make each issue, like, standalone, and you're trying to weave all these threads, like, you could never just pick up one of these Turtles' issues... And just yeah. be, and just be okay. And, and I'll be, be honest, no one I, I picked honest. up a few random issues of these in the past, and I could not penetrate them. And I'm pretty good at starting stuff in the middle. Yeah, so it's yeah. I, I get it where they're totally at odds with each other. That being said, I do like when Savage Dragon's juggling a lot of plot threads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, we get this uh, spooky cafe scene. That's a great scene. This is so good. Uh, where you know Malcolm of uh, Malcolm uh, Vanguard and Roxanne are just kind of <laughs> just documenting what's been going on because I guess Death Watch has just been draining people of their life force. Right. Uh, this whole town is basically fucking dead. He killed the whole town, dude. It's awesome. This outfit Roxanne's wearing. I know, dude. I like it. <laughs> is unique. It's tight. <laughs> She's like a Mortal Kombat character. She is, yes. She's exactly. She's a uh, Sonya Blade. Yeah, it's great, dude. But uh, then we cut back to New York, where the uh, the mob guys have already murdered the uh, Foot Clan uh, leadership. And so this is where it gets dark. Yeah, oh yeah. Is, well, this, this, this is a dark this, scene. This is where you learn why comic turtles are the best turtles. <laughs> yeah, they are. Dude, and by the way, he's talking about like the the like the uh, Eastman cover is like so sweet and badass because it's got like Raph like with the arrows like he yeah, definitely jumping through the air. It's, it's like that same scene. Oh yeah, this, yeah I and, love that. This, and we're talking this, about like this is the story of Raphael murdering forty seven guys. Hell yeah, dude! And like the moment where he shoots the arrow down the barrel of the gun. Oh, it's so cool! And then he just starts blasting them up. I'm I'm with it, dude. <laughs> Yeah, and it's crazy because he's like, he's like, I'm gonna have to get one of these babies for myself. I'm like, dude, ninja. He's like, this gun. is murder. <laughs> yeah, he, he loves it, dude. 
Yeah. It's good. Yeah, but this... it's cool. I mean, they're ninjas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but this, I like that. This is why you don't rely on the gun, though, because it runs out of bullets. The, the blade, you don't need to reload. And I want to say that the colors on this are phenomenal. Like, when you flip the page and, like, the way he's got the whole, like, uh, magenta sky behind the kind of, like, Rayburn's family ancestral house. And it's yeah. like a... And they literally, like, it's funny, Gary literally mentions Psycho, like, right yeah. there. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, so you're getting all the vibes, but, like, just the coloring on this was... Mm. That's our boy, Adam Guzowski. Is Hell that yeah. how you say it? Shout out to Adam. Yeah. We know he listens. Yeah, but... Fantastic job. Yeah, it really. I mean, from going from a black and white comic to, like, turning it, it... It turns into something completely different in color, honestly. I mean, I like them both. But color definitely changes the comic. I mean, I guess that sounds pretty obvious, but no, 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 no I get it because because these these pages in particular with the with the um, how do I phrase this the um, the house page with a mm-hmm. you see um, Michelangelo is in shadow mm-hmm. with the tree, so in black yeah. and white, that's going to look way starker. Yeah. Than it would be with color fills. But even like the moods. So like if you're, you know, and I guess for the listeners, if you guys are following along the page where Raphael is shooting up everybody. Right. I mean, an amateur colorist would just color like normal colors, you know? Yeah. The walls this color, guys this color. But to take like that middle panel where he's blasting all those guys and just give it a red hue. Yeah, dude. Which just gives you that like, oh, like death, the kind of like our danger, like. It just gives you mood, and it, it just it works great. All the scene where he's on that same page where he's in like the purple smoke, of the gun is done. He's just it's just clicking away. Um, I mean, black and white also gives you those stark kind of images. And but you know, if you're gonna put it in color and you want to still retain some of that mood that the black and white gives you, like I think he did a, a great job, kind of giving those kind of color lenses and you know the the different mood kind of set colors like the reds and the purples um totally 100% agree um uh just like wanted to say too like I love like there's alright so it's kind of funny to say this is gonna not sound like maybe 100% of a compliment but I just love like the things that happen like you were talking about like dense like event heavy like, just kind of mm. like Gary, like, puts kind of, like, crazy moments in here. Like, think, Rayburn killed his whole town. But on top of that, they, like, go into, like, the house and, like, he killed his own mom. Yeah. <laughs> for testifying against him in trial. I love it, dude. So, it's just, it was a crazy moment. It's super creepy, too. It's like, you know, it's almost like a horror movie. You got the old lady in the chair. Yeah. So and then this creepy Death Watch guy. I love, like, even with the colors, like, the glowing eyes in the dark. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. It's good, dude. And then we get a little cyborg fight action. That's pretty sweet. Circular saw action type stuff from Donatello's suit. Or robotic appendage or whatever. Yeah. Robotic Don. And the love, like, uh... Almost, like, he's, almost, he's super Patriot-esque with his transforming limbs. Yeah. Super Patriot. Yeah. I thought the scene, so 
so after you know this thing this book's bumping back and forth between uh Raphael's scene and the rest of the turtles and death watch and the scene where you know you got Raphael, you get that brutal like just sticking his side right through the guy yeah uh, <laughs> that's awesome but i thought that they really missed the mark on what what they could have done was the shredder costume so there's one scene where Raphael leans up against the wall and he you know basically discovers shredder's inter inner sanctum yep right and I thought, you know, they almost could have went by the kind of Eric Larson school of layouts where you, you know, instead of having that big reveal on the left page, oh. it should have been a full splash, almost like mm. Fosco's cover. Which, which page is where it on? It's on, uh, so on the, it's on the left side where, oh. where, um, Raph like flicks the match and sees the, the costume. Right. And then on the right page, he kicks it over. But, man, how much better would have it worked if that was on, like, a full-page splash on the that right, him backing up? That seems like a mistake. That seems like somebody didn't think out the layout. Right. Well, that's time. what I'm saying. It would have been so much better to see, like, almost like Fosco's cover as a splash where, like, he backs up into, like, although, the suit and turns around and freaks out. Although it could be a case of they wanted to show you the armor when you turn the page. No, but that's what Craig's saying. Is that like it would have been better served as a splash, like instead. And then you, you turn to, the page and find out it's not really Shredder. Like you get three page, you get three little panels of him flicking a match. You could have cut those like flicking the match out, and just had it like you flip the page and it's like there's the Shredder armor. Oh, uh, like, yeah. Shredder, yeah. But whatever. I mean, still kind of a cool idea. Shredder's inner sanctum is cool. I mean, that's a sweet double page spread where you get to see like him, like he makes his own armor. Like, and it really kind of works to help sell the idea of Shredder as a badass. Yeah, and it is cool to see all the different Shredder armors. I think one of these is even some of these might be like directly from other things. Like, well, I think the like, purple one looks like it's from the movies. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say. Well, I'm pretty sure that that like you know the armor. Uh, the like more red one is like Super Shredder, yeah. kind of from the movies. So it's cool to see all these different Shredder armors, and to sort of have the like lore that he makes his own shit. Right. Um. So we cut back. How many? Hmm? <coughs> Go ahead. I was, Sorry. I was gonna say we're gonna cut back to the Death Watch battle. But what were you gonna say? I was gonna say how many times can. Uh, Lurch uh, kind of pull that same trick where you, you think it's one guy and it's really Lurch. Well, I mean, that, that when, thing, it seems to be a little overused. When, it, when a character start, stops talking, it's a good good indicator. <laughs> That's also literally his whole gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, literally Lurch's whole thing is like, oh, you think it's me? Psych, it's Lurch. <laughs> Rayburn gets away, bros. He does. Very disappointed. It's shocking. And he messed up Donatello. Oh, yeah. He basically, uh, we'll find out later, but yeah, he gets bad. He gets it bad. And double dead. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, like, this whole scene of Shredder is, like, fucking badass. Like, or wait, yeah, like, like Raphael the in the issue. Shredder costume. No, no, no there's, there's, there's some more here, yeah. Just a little bit. Beats the crap out of some mobsters, knocks a guy's tooth out. Too bad, slice. 
Swish slice. Yep, we end on the cliffhanger of uh, Raphael in the shredder armor. Which, which is a pretty which badass is concept. Pretty cool. Yep. You gotta admit. It. This whole series, uh, Raph's all about playing dress up. I mean, he's like Casey Jones in one issue and Shredder now. <laughs> Raph's into playing dress up. You just made it lame. Sorry. <laughs> you you lamed it up. It was cool, but you made him seem dorky for doing it. <laughs> no, it's very cool. Um I'm I'm fucking super into it. I think this is like of all the things that are happening in this, I think Raph like and what a what a funny like kind of a logical progression, you know. Yeah, dude. Uh, and then issue fourteen again, the Eastman cover is badass with like the Shredder Raph. Yes, dude. <laughs> I think the new Fosco cover is great too because it's also got yeah, absolutely. Raph. And it's interesting. <laughs> excuse me. If you look at the old. Um, Larson Fosco cover. Um, Raph is buried in uh, shadow. Yeah. And so it's kind of cool because it's kind of like, oh, you can see, like, they kept that, like, more, like, sort of. I wonder in black and white, like, how hard it was to tell, like, if that was the shredder or what. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you don't see like, the green. Yeah. Like, it's not really obvious that that's not shredder fighting splinter on the cover of that issue so that's kind of yeah cool. absolutely oh good good, good, cover good point about that because yeah if it would have been solicited in advance people would say oh shredder versus splinter right so now we get to just pretty much see an absolutely you're talking about like cool coloring and like just bloody and like that double page spread mm-hmm. of, uh, of uh Raphael just slicing the shit out of people yeah yeah Sh- shredder raf it's sweet it's sweet as hell. Yeah, I don't. I feel like there's not that many like double page splashes in this series, unless I'm just not noticing. Uh, I think, I think you're, you're right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Cool. There's not that many. It's a cool it's, visual. Yeah, and, and it's colored great. I like it. Just using the limited color palette with the reds, again, just setting the mood. You know, like just coloring all the characters red just gives you that sense of violence or danger. I think it's a guy, like, this whole sequence, like, like everything, like, you know, Adam was, like, figuring it out maybe in the very earliest, but, like, man, he's got it, dude. Like, with, like, the zip dots, like, the mm-hmm. white zip dots look great in this, like, you know, sequence here. And then he's, like, stained the, uh, he stained the, like, shredder gauntlets with blood, like, that's oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a cool sequence, like, uh. You know, the foot, they come and they sort of confront uh, Raph about, like, you know, what he's doing. And he's like, uh, nah, get up, you know, dopies. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're... Hey, basically, good chastise him. Like, you know, you guys just ran away and I took care of business. So basically deal with it. And they eventually just take him on as a leader. Well, not eventually. He murders a guy for standing, you know, calling him out for stealing the armor. Yeah. So he's 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 right away he's uh, establishing who's in charge here. Says they don't is have it, any on they don't have any honor. Yeah, he he, fake, he talks shit to him. It's great the way he points it out. He's like, you know, when the mobsters were there, these assholes were gone, and now that like it's just him, they're all like teaming up, and that's why he takes that dude out because he's just got to like put those other fools in line. It's still life or death. Like it's justified homicide. <laughs> That funny scene where the guy's just playing fetch with his dog and fucking <laughs> bat 
Splinter just snatches it up and eats it. Yeah, that's talking about like, like I said, when you're like talking about like just cool, funny, weird moments in this series. Like that's just a great like little two page sequence to show that Splinter's out there and he's still fucking berserk. Yep. Yep. We get to see Van and the Turtles and Roxanne. Oh yeah, there was more Vanguard in here. Um, I yeah. forgot. Just a little bit. This is where they realize Donatello got jacked up by Death Watch. Yeah. And this scene is a little weird and funny. And I, don't, I was like, I was a little scratching my head a little bit about it. But basically the the cyborg part of Donatello separates. Mm-hmm. And joins up with Lurch, right? Yep. Yeah. He integrates in with Lurch, who's also an artist. And then turns being. into this, like, Jack Kirby robot thing. Yeah. <laughs> it it's, flies it's the, away. It's the Seeker. Yeah. <laughs> and then it flies away, and Donatello is, like, still dying and still got, like, kind of mech. So I remember, like, first reading this and thinking, oh, that's how they solve, like, Donatello. He was going to be back to normal again, and... You know, the the robot shit just kind of flew away. But that's not really the case. No, no it's a fake out. Donatello's still dead. It's just he's, he still has some of the replacement parts that the cyborg and built into Yeah, him. he still has the cyborg parts on him, so he's not, like, completely cleaned off of it. No. It was... And so Van's like, I'm going to put you on life support, like, up in my ship, so... It is kind of strange that both Death Watch and the, uh, and the cyborg armor both basically run away and are gone because yeah. uh they don't come back for the next few issues well the cyborg right. armor is like just it's acting true to form i mean they're both doing true to form things here like ray burns out carrying out his little like revenge mission still he's still like out for revenge right so it makes sense that he just like teleports away or whatever the hell wait where, but, what's he need revenge against um, anybody that helped put Rayburn uh, into his little like suicide program, basically, who the people oh. who testified against him in the murder oh. trial. Oh no, yeah, Death Watch. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he would still escape. Yeah. So it makes sense there, but then the uh, cyborg is also kind of acting because remember, it's not just a cyborg; it's like a parasite. Right. Like it that's wants how it got on. Right, and th- there's actually a scene where like it's trying to. Yeah, exactly. It's trying to find a host. And it tries to get onto I don't know which turtle I'm looking at here, but like yeah, it tries to get on one of the turtles and and can't yeah. because like you know he gets whacked by <laughs> kind of weird. Seems like Leo hits him in the hand with a katana. I'm not yeah. quite sure here. Yeah, I thought because I know a, a turtle loses his hand, I thought this was how a character lost his hand. But I guess he was just hit it just right to <laughs> to break the link. Right. Right. But then Lurch is the one that ends up getting, like, the parasite, so... Yeah. This must not be the same Lurch. Unless there's a story beat that we haven't gotten to yet. Cause it's this, what, same Lurch as, what, the Vanguard the, the van, backups the, 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 the and van, Yeah, yeah the it's van, the same Lurch. Oh, well, then well, they'll probably... They, there must be more of this later. Yeah. I would imagine, because later there on, is. we know Lurch later on gets, like, sentience. Right. Yep. So, like, you know, without anything in Turtles, we know that Lurch gets rid of that symbiote at some point. And if, I mean, and Death Watch reappears back in the, the Savage Dragon backs, backups, too. So Oh, I forgot he did. Yep. It all ties in. Like, all this Ninja Turtle stuff all later in ties into the Vanguard backups in Dragon. That's why, I like, this series is, like, so closely related to Dragon. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it is. Not only... 
not only does it have like the dragon appearances, but down the road, you know, because Frank and Gary wrote it, it ties in and they, they were able to revisit a lot of these characters in the Vanguard backups. It's cool, man. Like as someone who largely missed this stuff the first time, like I'm, I'm really glad that like I'm getting into it now. Like it, it is cool. Even though like the dragon stuff is in there less than I had thought it still, like, ties in really well, like, in cool ways. I like it. Right. Yeah. I'm pleased. But uh, here we basically get, like, Raphael just ends that whole mob thread. Yep, he just <laughs> just confronts him in his uh, in his house yeah. with, with the surviving Foot Clan members. And then Tells we're him moving to on. Back the hell Good. off, and I guess he does. Well, they're scared of Shredder is what's so funny. Like, they don't realize that's not Shredder. That's true. They don't. So, it's just kind of interesting that it's basically, a, like, the even in death, like, Shredder's got that kind of, like... Oh, now I remember the whole situation. The mob paid the Foot Clan to kidnap Shadow. Yeah. And then... They broke I the guess agreement. Michelangelo rescued her. And then Raph was supposed to assassinate somebody, but didn't. I don't know. It's been a while. It's been too long. It'll it's be fine. Been too long. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. But but I I found it funny just because Raph says he's gonna give this guy his money back for paying the foot to kidnap the girl, just as right. a way to balance things. Uh, but yeah. He's just trying to make peace. He's just trying to end this shit. Like the, the the mafia and the Foot Clan have both just been like pains in everyone's ass for this whole series. So basically, it's just like Raf kind of just like forces a peace treaty here. And then but, we hear, we see uh, that Splinter is still nuts. He's yeah. nutso in the brain. But he is uh, he is uh, in the astral plane, and he runs into the ghost form of Donnie. Who uh, is naked for some reason? Uh, and Donnie doesn't really know what's going on because he, he's stuck in this limbo and he's trying to get help from Splinter, but Splinter's a monster and does not want to help. But we do yeah, briefly. He's out of his mind, even in the astral plane. Like yeah. he's out of his mind. But uh, which comes up later. So. It does. Yeah. But uh, he gets Splinter. Bat Splinter gets caught by, I guess, uh, uh, I'd say police police officer. Which yeah, gets, the police uh, are trying to track him down, and then like basically, Raph's like, "Whoa, hey, there's Splinter. Let's, hey, Foot Clan, let's go get Splinter." And of course, Splinter, you know, is crazy, but knows and hates Shredder. Like even if he's crazy, he hates Shredder. Yep, and so. <laughs> he he, you know, beats the shit out of what he thinks is Shredder, but then Raph's like, "Dude, it's me, Master Splinter." And then it's like, <laughs> and that doesn't help Bruh. because he remembers Donnie in his dreams and stabs him anyway. Yeah, as a because he thinks demon. the turtles are demons. Yep, he's a turtle demon. So, yep. And that's that. That is another that. another pulse pounding issue, which brings us to fifteen. Oh, dude. I love this cover, uh, even though it's kind of like, it is, to me, funny that the radiator's blasting steam the way it is. Yeah. I do love is, this cover. Why is that funny? I don't know. I know that it what wouldn't be. What do you find so funny life. about that? What's so funny about radiators? 
<laughs> it's just a funny visual of the steam, that's all. Yeah. I think it's cool. I like it. Yeah, well, I like it a lot. I think it's better Donnie than the Donnie in the back the tank. Better than the original no. cover. Yeah, the original cover had like the carrot spikes. Yeah. Coming out of uh, Donatello, Cyborg Donatello. The the Kevin Eastman cover is not that great on this one. It's just yeah. Mikey petting the cat. Yeah, he phoned it in. He looked at the first page. <laughs> it, this that is a this is a weird kind of subplot now that's happening with Mikey like becoming the writer. Was that something that was in the original? Well, Mikey was always someone who wanted to be more out in the outside world, and through his writing, yeah. he gets to do that because he can't he can't be out because he's a turtle. Was that? Was that established in like the uh, I don't, series uh, before this uh, that he was more I don't, into writing? So? I don't recall. Yeah. I just he was always kind of pining for being in human society. So I agree. Why. Yeah, I think that was kind of his thing. I do love all the heavy black inks on these pages. Yeah, it's awesome. Like a, uh, it's cool the little like chamber set up in there. Like an entire wall of like a suspension chamber for Donatello. Yeah, yeah. I guess Vanguard hooked him up. Yeah, very strange. Leo eating a banana is hilarious. Just a funny visual. <laughs> I think it's funny. I didn't. They go into the astral plane a lot. Well, Leonardo does that. He's the spiritual one. I just didn't know that the turtles were so into it. I you, like it. You never saw the first movie. No, no, I remember that, bro. <laughs> of course, that was clutch. But I'm just saying it's funny because, man, they go into the astral plane a lot. Like a good bit in this. Yeah, the turtle, yeah. Turtle, turtles have always played around a bit with mysticism. So, I mean, it's not the you know primary thing, but Splinter's always been into it. And Leo takes after Splinter. and It's cool. They fought their it. share of supernatural beings. I mean, Shredder keeps coming back as like parasitic worms because of magic. Yeah. Those are some great issues. When they had all, like, back in the Mirage time with those issues where, like, the different types of shredders that were all parasitic worms. Those were some of my first Ninja Turtle comics. Those things were awesome. Anyway, we find out that Shredder Raph has been kind of out for, like, a week, right? Or so? Oh, right. Ever since the end of last issue because the cliffhanger happens and then it kind of cut to this. His old pitchfork stabbing got him. Yeah, somehow, so, somehow, somehow they've captured Splinter in a cage, right? And dra- drug uh, Raph back to ha- headquarters. And so they're all messing around in the astral plane, and something jacked up happens. So Raph's with with the Foot Clan, and no one knows that Raph's the where he is. Right, right. No one knows he's a Shredder. No one knows where he is. Uh, no one knows that Donatello is alive and floating in the astral plane, like lost in the astral plane. Right. right. Mikey doesn't want anything and to do with the astral plane, so he's not there. So he's not in it. Right. So Leo ventures in and he finds Raph and Donatello and Splinter, right? Right. Or no, yes. not yet. They, well, they, he, yes, he, they do. Splinter finds uh, Donatello. He's choking the shit out of him. Raph scares <laughs> him off. Uh, Raph and Donnie reunite, and then Leo shows up, and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah, they end up in the the whole wrong body thing is hilarious. Yeah, Leo, Leo <laughs> wait, no, Donnie ends up in Raph's body. Right. Right, yeah, and he is... Confused uh, and doesn't know what the fuck's going confused. on. Very confused. 
Leo ends up in rafts, right? Or no? Uh, you might be right. I'm trying to find out where they actually says his name. Because I don't know if he does. Well, no. The old man, the old, like, the mystical, like, foot. Donnie okay. ends up in... Leo's the first one to leave, so he must be the first one to wake up. So he mu- it must be Leo and Raph. Donnie wakes up in uh, Leo's body. Yep. All right. Yes. So, and that only lasts, it seems like, a few minutes before they all kind of... Yeah. Is that, it, eventually it does re- unscrambled. It, it did seem like a little bit um, quick, like it wasn't no long-term ramifications, because they seem to wake up, realize they're in the wrong body, and then pass out again, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then it's, switch it's back. A, it's a good kind of story device to get them to realize where everybody is. Yeah, basically <laughs> that's all it does, is Leo knows where Raph's body is, and everyone knows Donnie the, is still alive in the astral plane. And Raph, they think, is captured by the foot. Right. And maybe Shredder is still alive. Possibly, still. yes. And then, like, Leo and Donnie freaks out and throws the, the radiator into, like, the glass to get his body back. Oh, yeah, Donnie's still right. in Leonardo after this point. And so he's freaking out because his body is in the, in the, in the tank. And so he chucks a radiator at the tank because... That's a logical thing to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what a technology guy would think to do. He does, he does <laughs> machines, you know. <laughs> and then they all kind of, after that happens, he kind of passes out, wakes up, everyone's back in their bodies. And then the big reveal is that Donatello's back in his body. He seems to have full control of the robotics now, the, the CPU... Which I think is funny. Don't they have to have like a footnote to like spell out CPU for you? Yeah, yeah there's some they're, funny. There's a bunch <laughs> have, of those things that are. Yeah, like CPR, CPU. Wait, wait, NRA. Wait, all right, yeah, dude. Later you on, don't gotta tell us. Later on, the, the NRA shows up and they yeah. tell you what NRA stands for. Yeah, it's like I think we're okay. We don't. We don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like though that Donatello can like control the cybernetics and he actually like they're surprised because they think he'll never walk because the the you think they think the robot part is destroyed and therefore yeah. he can't control it but he does and he's actually like bigger than the other turtles now yeah yeah he mentions vaguely for a moment having trouble getting around like he says something like it's more clunky without the ai helping but basically he gets the hang of it in like so no time he basically gets the best of both worlds because now he gets to be the techno guy and be in control <laughs> and not be right dead, right 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 which uh <laughs> is convenient i I, I, much, I do have to say yeah. it's a little it was a little convenient them all going back in their bodies properly and then donnie yeah. donnie getting back into his body after being dead Remember that the um, mystical foot ninja dude was trying to get the right soul in the right body. Yeah, yeah. So I guess they it was, had that. I guess it was they had that going. His doing, him. yeah. Yeah, they had that going for him. Yeah, and that basically concludes this issue. Yep, We're just it, killing him, dude. Issue fifteen. Yep, it, it ends with uh, Leonardo saying, "Let's go get Shredder." Who they Let's don't go kick some astral plane, dude? Who they don't know is actually Raphael. You get a nice little uh, fake out here. I think that the uh, Kevin Eastman cover is pretty sweet on this one. Yeah, so for the listeners who may not see it, the Kevin Eastman cover. So in this issue, they all 
disguise themselves as like Shredder's elite guard yep. to try to infiltrate and attack Shredder. They don't know is actually Raphael. They think they're going to save Raphael. It's a merry mix-up. We'll get to that. So, so Eastman's cover has got all the turtles on the cover. It's got Shredder, Raphael, and then the three brothers in the elite guard costumes, which is kind of neat. I like that. And I actually like Fosco's new cover better than the original. It's one of the few new ones that I like better. With uh... um, I mean, I like them both, but I like Fosco's take on like the astral plane and the bat shredder that looks like he's going out of his mind. Yeah, like I right. thought that he did a really good it job. It is on this interesting because if you think about it, um, Fosco didn't draw the astral plane stuff in color in mind. Right. So like, the color colorist must have come up with the whole blue kind of smoky looking thing. And so Fosco has done his version of it after the fact. Yeah. Well, I did want to say that like, uh, he would have at the very least, like, you know, Fosco indicated the whole smoke thing. Cause some of the panel layouts I wanted to note were really cool on that whole astral plane sequence in the last issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the little smoky wispy thing was at least, uh, visually implied in the old issues. Yeah, it was, like, thinner lines, too, in the old issues. But okay. it was very cool that he, like, gave it its own whole, like, every time they're in there, it's blue. Like, you instantly know where they are. And the panels are, yeah. like, off-kilter. Right. They're not... They're yeah, not, they're all wavy. Yeah. This, cool little visual cues. This is a nice little fake out there here for just a moment, like, where you think it's Shredder Raph behind him, and then you flip the page, and it's just, like, Cyber Dawn. And he's like, you know, kind of got like his own little mock shredder armor. Yeah, great job coloring too, real crisp. I love the zipatone type stuff in the background on the first page. Oh yeah, with the cloud. Yeah, that is neat. Yeah, the faded kind of uh, cyber Donny. I don't know. It's good. Looks good. It's good. Yeah. Dark. The blacks look great. See, yeah. Stuff. Here's the man. This armor is hard to control. Yeah, so he's just a little nod that, like, you know, the AI is gone. But this is where they decide to infiltrate this dirty movie theater where the turtles watched porn. <laughs> yeah, they say that, don't they? Yes. Yep, he says where we used to watch porno flicks. That's a little weird. Well, they are, they are, they are human infused. Like, <laughs> it just sounded a little weird. They're they kids. Are, they are turtle boys. <laughs> But uh, it's cool, man. I like it. They like they jump the elite front <coughs> guard and like, you know, take their outfits. I love um, the scene of Shredder Raff on the throne. He kind of looks like King Conan on the throne. Yep, yep, I get Just that. Just sitting there with his arm, and he's got the splinter, what bat in the little cage. He's very much like Golem. <laughs> yeah. And Cyberdon is able to, like, morph his appearance. Yeah. Which is cool. <laughs> and seems new. <laughs> yeah, now that he's got control of the powers, he's pretty much using it differently. I love seeing the turtles dressed up in, like, those little ninja kind of yep. costumes. Just kicking butt. I thought the scene was hilarious where... Leo's fighting Shredder, Raph, and you know, they both don't know who each other are because they're both in costume. And then when Raph figures it out, he just starts laughing. That's great. 
Yeah, they get it. Like I said, the whole merry mix up. Like they're you know just yep. ready to kick each other's ass for like two seconds, and then he's like, Bah-ha-ha. I love like the katana blade just stuck in the the shredder kind of gauntlet things. Looks pretty cool. That's a that's a cool touch. Where? Uh, the scene where he's laughing and it's just kind of like Leo's blades are kind of stuck in the shredders like arm gauntlets oh yeah the ha 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 yeah yeah yep. yeah it's awesome it's good stuff dude this uh this sequence cool the little mystical dude sort of catches him up to speed on what's going on you know he's like here's splinter he's out of his fucking mind like you know he's nuts so you guys gotta go in there and try and like get him back in his right mind so they all Time to ash more adventures in the astral plane. Donnie does not want to go because he's had his own problems there. He's uh, right. he's not a fan, but he eventually comes around. They're a family. <laughs> yeah, so they're in there and they're just sort of whooping the shit out of Splinter, having a fight or whatever. Just sort of cruises along. Raph gets a better of him, and then like you know when Raph. For whatever happens, like when Raph like kills him, like basically that sort of brings Splinter around. Yeah, it is a little confusing because they tell you that if you die in the game, you die in real life, and then right. then uh, Raph just stabs Splinter, and apparently that helps turn him back into a rat, or at least turns his mind back into a rat, which is uh, good. I'm not. A, I wasn't a big fan of the bat. I actually kind of mm-hmm. thought. I, I thought the bat thing stayed around the whole series, but I guess yeah, uh, no, yeah. it did not. Cause, uh, I liked it. I think it made Splinter more active and involved and more interesting than if he'd just been like the grandfatherly type. Like, we've seen that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was neat. I thought it was neat. Also, shout-outs to Gary for having a Ninja Turtle call Splinter Master Sphincter. What? <laughs> that is pretty dope. Master Sphincter. What are you talking about? Uh, he makes fun of Master Splinter and calls him Master Sphincter. When? Yeah. Where? Um, oh, oh, when he gets stabbed. Okay, yeah, I get yeah, it. yeah. So, so that kind of that that issue ends with them kind of killing the bat in the astral plane and holding Splinter. So we're like, oh, is this is this the end of Splinter? Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, Leo, Mike, anybody help? And that kind of concludes 16. Yep. Rolling right along. 17, a hunting we will go. Cool. I like the new cover a lot. Yeah, I do too. I like uh, Leo in the kind of the shadows. The old cover is a little funny. Larson one with Fosco. Well, I guess it's Fosco with Larson Inks. It's like picking up the little baby alligator. Meanwhile, like. (laughs) Leatherhead is behind him. Right. Is it Leatherhead or Leatherface? Le- Le- leatherhead. Le- leatherhead, yeah. This I guarantee. <laughs> I was also, the whole time, see, I'm not really familiar with Mirage Comics Leatherhead. Yeah, he he, he is not the cartoon. He is not that. So yeah, I was going to say, the whole time I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, guarantee. <laughs> this I guarantee. <laughs> leatherhead was such a cool toy. <laughs> he really was because the top of his head was like on a, a pivot so you could just sort of like do the alligator chomp oh it's so good mm. I love the way that 
17 opens up because you're like, oh, fuck, Splinter bit it. Yeah, yeah it this is, is a, that's this a, is great a terrible, splash. terrible trick. It's great, though. I love that. Yeah, I love it, too. I still can't believe it. And then they're, like, <laughs> oh, they're just looking at the mausoleum with their little, like, got infiltrated or they think it is. Yeah, he just can't believe someone burglarized their headquarters. <laughs> But yeah, I, I bought it. The funny it. thing is, though, you still don't know if Splinter's dead or not, right? Yeah, because I bought it, it hook, it, line, and sinker. Though it was, was like, kind oh. of a it was kind of a hard cut to this from the end of the last issue. But that's good, yeah. dude. That's good comics. It is. I was like, oh, Splinter's fucking dead. What? <laughs> and you believe it because it's like so much shit has happened already in this series that, like, I mean, if you told me that he was dead, I, you know, I totally I'd believe. Totally, it. yeah. <laughs> I, I think no, gonna... he doesn't die until issue 12 of the next series. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? Spoilers. Is that real? Yeah, that's real. I told you, they're middle-aged men, middle-aged turtles then. Splinter got old, finally died. Lame. And in fact, I found this... that, was the whole, God, that was the whole thing about that series, is that Splinter, the whole premise kind of was, it led up to Splinter dying, and then after Splinter died... The four turtles all kind of went their own directions for a while. Ugh. And then the series ended before they kind of came back together, which was kind of an important part that they really should have got to. Right. But it was good. I love that series. I hope they reprint that next, to be honest. Cause it, I, I will say that when I very first read this, I could not have possibly guessed how important these damn rabbits setting that alarm off would be. Oh, yeah. Because I had no idea. I was like, oh, this little... I just thought it was like a little ha-ha anecdote. No, those rabbits setting that alarm off really fucked shit up the rest of the sequence here. It's people ignoring the alarm left and right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a great um, sequence or, or scene between Leo and Rat, which is pretty crazy, like... You know, I thought after that last issue, okay, like this whole Shredder thing's done now, but he's holding on to it and going to stay leader of the Foot Clan. The the relationship between Raph and Leo has always been the best part about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because mm-hmm. Leo's the leader, but Raph thinks he wants to be the leader. But he's not very, he's not typically very good at it. Yeah. But this is really his first opportunity to be a leader of something. So not... Clear- not liking taking orders doesn't make you a good leader. Right. So this is kind of him achieving his dream of becoming a leader. So whether or not it works out for him, that's what's kind of driving him right now. Right. Like, uh, yeah. But it's a good sequence. Like him literally slamming the door between them. <laughs> like, you know, figuratively and literally like putting up a, a wall between them. It's good stuff. Yeah, because Leo can't be around because Leo, Leo's personality doesn't allow him to not lead. And so he would only undermine Raph's leadership. So he can't be around. Uh, the, and what's the funny is even he, even he agrees. Right. He's like, nah, Raph's right. There can't be two leaders. And I'm a leader, not a follower. I was like, oh yeah, all right, cool. I think it was cool that like you were saying like the Shredder thing didn't go away real quick. I'll say that, like, I think something cool Gary did on this was that, like, he didn't just, like, magic away these things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he just sort of let things ride, you know? No, I love the fact that we're seeing, like, Raph continue on as a leader of the foot. 
Now, this dude that took these photos says issue 12, remember question mark. I don't remember. <laughs> what are you talking about? So the little dude that's narking, uh, narking the Ninja Turtles out to like the oh. men in black. Yeah, I think he was just kind of in the shadows or something, just snapping pictures at the mausoleum. Yeah. And they do seem to be concerned about aliens specifically. So I don't think these guys are related to the people we're about to see later. I think this... No, but... I, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to... Which is, I think was intended. Basically, we're going to run into a bunch of people in the sewers with guns and stuff. Well, so those I, people were there for a bounty. Right, yeah. Like a bounty, a $10,000 bounty was put on the head of a... Uh, whoever could bring a giant lizard monster that, yeah. like, ate the child of some people. Right. So those hunters are not related to the men in black at all. Right, but I, I think we're meant to think they are until we realize they're not. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Yep. Yeah, the men in black, I think with this everything with this Death Watch and everything that these guys are like on patrol for aliens and stuff. Yep. And, and the turtles like, have had dealings with aliens before. Triceratons. The thing I find funny, it's kind of ridiculous, like a bunch of guys with guns in the sewers like that would ever... <laughs> be able to be done in it's New not York. you're not in the woods yeah you're in the sewers and a bunch of guys with shotguns walking around the city blasting things <laughs> a little little ridiculous but comics i love it i like that panel big time of uh leo coming out of the sewers like he's got the manhole over his uh head and like the hunters are just silhouettes in the distance that's a really yeah. good panel yep and then the damn rabbits goddamn rabbits <laughs> what is it like look and again it's kind of funny like i said there's just hats off to gary for juggling all this shit but like him slipping down the thing it could have just been he slipped down the balcony because of bloody hands or something right Nah, casey set a trap for the mob well that makes sense right. <laughs> with vaseline i'm just saying it's a nice touch a nice little extra and I guess apparently that's where Splinter has been kind of resting up, right? Or no? Yes. Splinter. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Splinter and Mikey have been living here. Yes. Who else reads comic Splinter's dialogue in the voice of the movie? Oh, a little <laughs> bit. Yes, the cure was perhaps as painful as what ailed me. Was it not? I was just resting my eyes, Leonardo. <laughs> Actual sleep is very rare, indeed. <laughs> Can't help it, dude. Like, yeah. And then they eat pizza. <laughs> and then, like, you talk about, like, dark shit. Like, these hunters. Like, oh, yeah. They these get hard. Mutil <laughs> these mutilated hunters. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It's grizzly, dude. A trail of mutilated hunters. I love it. You know, I'm I'm not as a, a big a fan of this part of this. This is probably this and the next issue, which we'll talk about. Probably my least favorite so far of the series. I feel like uh, this stuff's getting a little shoehorned in. Really, but yeah, the leatherhead and I like this, you know, if only because it ties in some stuff from the previous series. Yeah, that's true. It, it you know tell it, we get a little flashback here of. Stuff that happened in the previous series with the uh, Utans and the and Leatherhead's whole deal. 
the Krangs. Now the Komodo guys are back. Well, that I mean, you weren't a fan of the Komodo guys to begin with, right? I think, I I I think it was more Raven. You weren't. Yeah, right? and I'm still not. But actually, that's why I kind of like King Komodo here. Right. Because a King Komodo is cool as a name. Yep. But b King Komodo is kind of like makes that whole out of everything that happened in this whole run. I've liked that the least. I still don't like that part as much as the other parts. But it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. For me, this was a little bit of redemption for the King Komodo stuff. Be- I mean, for the Komodo like warlord guy. Yeah. Because this like gave birth to this King Komodo character, who I think is pretty cool. Okay. So for me, I actually like... I love this King Komodo stuff because it made the previous Komodo thing kind of mean more. Yeah. So I'm into it. I I like it. I mean, you know, Leatherhead, whatever, but because he's just not as cool as he is in the cartoon. Oh, he's a big crocodile. But he's the big fake out. You know, you got to think that it's Leatherhead that's eating all these people and stuff and you get the old switcheroo. I appreciate Gary. The thing is, I appreciate Gary doing the fake out. Yeah. Like no, absolutely. That that was what I liked. Like I, because again, I was totally thinking that they were just gonna go down there and beat up on Leatherhead for a minute. But no, King Komodo, total surprise. Like it totally surprised me. I had, I did not see that shit coming at all. And King Komodo kind of has a cool power, like the whole mind control thing. Which we'll get into in the next issue. Yeah, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Issue issue 18, issue which is the last issue for us for now. For now. Yeah. Um, so, right away, word balloons on the cover are awesome. Yeah, the lettering yeah, I agree. is awesome. I agree. Fight it, Leatherhead. <laughs> it's good. <clears throat> Excuse me. So right away we get into a Leonardo versus the regular Komodo dragons. So, and this is pretty sweet. Yeah, once again we get a one guy versus an army sort of situation. And we see Leo really show his stuff. Yeah, he's a pretty, badass, Which dude. is pretty impressive. He's fl- flipping giant Komodo dragons it, it, it's and not breaks 40, one's It's not neck. 49 dudes, but you know, he, he, you know he, he's hurt. He also didn't need a Tommy gun, so how about that? True. Put his katana blade right down the throat of one of those dragons. Well, that that whole sequence is really freaking weird because it really looks like it bit his... Like, how did the Komodo dragon, like, get the whole thing down his throat to begin with? And then bite his arm. And then not also, like, rip his arm off. I don't know. Well, I don't know. It bit around his arm, but then it died instantly when the sword went right through. Yeah, but it must not have bit very hard because in the very next scene there's, like, no blood on his wrist. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's uh, just a little awkward, I'd say. Here we see Casey clowning Mikey for his story. Yeah, it's a... Casey is... Yeah, but you you guys missed something before that. Oh, shit. Take us back. Where uh, King Komodo basically chomps on Leo's hand. That's the scene where we'll see next, but that's where his hand gets taken off. Right. And Jim, I think, I think that was the fake out is that like, you kind of like have that one Komodo dragon bite his arm and like, he's okay. Yep. 
And then so when King Komodo goes and bites his arm this time, it's just like, eh, you know, he'll be okay, is what you're thinking. Right. But, yeah. But you read his, his little, like, inner dialogue, he's like, it doesn't work, and I pass out screaming bloody murder. Yeah, that's great. That's a great transition. And you're like, whoa. And again, this weird, like, Raph and Mike, like you saying, the Michelangelo typing his little story. Right, and a love story, loser? What do you love, love? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a horror story. Anyway, bro, let's go. Let's go, dude. They're just ignoring the alarm. Like, ignoring the alarm left and right. Like, we heard the alarm go off during Leo's last sequence, and here we see them ignoring the alarm again because they think it's the rabbits. So, again, I, I love how that one tiny little thing wound up being such like a... <laughs> Such an element. So it's a recurring <laughs> gag, really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Leo wakes up and King Komodo has bitten his fucking hand off. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a jerk. And what? here he sort of explains that he was uh, the Komodo dragon that, that the Komodo had there. Right, you know? the, 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 the giant one. Right. And then even though he got blasted, so this weird kind of thing, it's like, he he escaped and got tortured by Pimico, and now he's doing... no tutored, right? Tutored, yes. Oh well, learn to read. Raven. That's a big difference there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I was like, why would he be helping her? Well, th- that's one of the things I didn't like. It seems a little like shoehorned in. Well, I I mean, a lot of time has passed since that first arc, like a couple weeks. Yeah, because the the whole Death Watch thing actually took weeks, uh, or at least that's what I thought the uh, the uh, narration said. Um, also, didn't, uh, Kinkamoto get into a fight with Mako, like, during the escape? We would have to flip back. I'd have to go back I and check. I think so. I think you're right. But, uh, but yeah, basically he's been mutated, like the turtles, into a humanoid Komodo dragon. Right. Which, which is the whole, like, appeal of Ninja Turtles, in my opinion, is all these mutated animals. Right. And so... He's got to make those action figures. He's basically, he's basically taken over. Well, he, I think he intends to take over the role of the warlord, or at least similar. Or right now, he just wants revenge. I'm low key okay with the Pimico connection because you got to think that Pimico doesn't really have the foot anymore, right? And so, and she hates the turtles. She does. And so it kind of makes sense that she would use this guy to try and take them out. Because remember, there were four Komodo dragons, so it makes sense that, like, you know, they'd be pretty good match for the four Ninja Turtles, except she just fucking underestimated how badass Leonardo is. But then we get to see his weirdo mind powers, and he fucking sort of controls Leatherhead a little bit. Yep. Um, Leo frees Leatherhead to have an extra ally, but it just backfires on him when the Komodo dragon tells him that, oh, I can just control the minds of lizards. Watch this. <laughs> so uh, Leo gets basically cr- uh, jumped by Leatherhead and dunked into the water. And here we get to see the dick move of them all. Yeah. Wrath smashing the beeper. Yeah, he, he basically tells them... This almost seems like a test of the foot, because uh, the Foot Clan guy says, Master your alarm, shall we investigate? 
And Raft says, no, it no longer concerns me, and then smashes it. Uh, so it seems like, it almost seems like a test, if not a, uh, uh, just because if, if, if Raph had shown concern, I feel like the foot would have turned on him. Just, just as an opinion. I feel like it just is Raph kind of fallen further away from his brothers and more into this shredder role. Right. Yeah. Cause like, what a dick. <laughs> He's like, faulty alarm in the cemetery is not my problem, Crush. My place is no longer with them. It's with you, the Foot Clan. <laughs> hey, he's a dick, dude. I don't know. I, I think he's playing a role, to be honest. I think he's out of his depth. He's trying we'll to see. be a be a badass. We'll see. But we get a mysterious stranger in the in the in the in the shadows. So these guys, With Shredder's elite guards. Yeah. So the guys in the hats are Shredder's elite guards, right? So the interesting thing is, it it was very briefly mentioned. Um, the previous issue, when the turtles infiltrated the uh, the headquarters, when they took out the two elite guards that were standing outside, mm-hmm. apparently the foot didn't know they were there. They right. weren't guards. They were actually from whoever this is. Right, keeping an eye on the foot. Yeah, so when uh, the turtles took their costumes, the foot was very confused why they were there at all. Well, the exactly. the elite guard it mentioned were loyal to Shredder, not even the Foot Clan. Right, and they had been wiped out previously, so no one really knew why they were there. Right, and, and so, so we clearly see there are still some kicking around, and if they're loyal to Shredder, then who's this person in the shadows? Right, it's Pimico. Hint, it's Pimico. <laughs> it's Pimico, we know for sure. Although, it may not be Pimico... Um, I think we're mixing something up here. Pimico was the assassin that worked for the Warlord, yes? I thought she was Shredder's first, daughter. Yeah. Shredder has a daughter. I forget what her name is off the top of my head. She Pimico. she comes and goes. Wait, was it? That's my understanding. Uh, so wasn't Pim- so Pim- it's Craig. Are you thinking Pimico is Shredder's daughter? Yeah. That's what I thought, too. Hold on. I don't remember. It's been a while, her, her but name, I'm pretty her certain. Her name, uh, Shredder's daughter's name is uh, uh, Kari. And... Yeah, but was that just... Is this just... Was written out, right? This isn't canon anymore? No, it is canon. Or at least it should be. Um, I don't think the image stuff is canon anymore. No, it, that's the whole point of it getting an ending, is that it is canon to the Mirage series. Uh, how do you spell her name? Pim... P-I-M-I-K-O. I-K-O. Is the possible... So I'm looking up the Turtlepedia. That's what I'm on. Pimico appears in Image Comics and is the possible daughter of Arukusaki. Oh, okay. And former leader of Go Komodo's hired Kanuchi. All right. I guess uh, they're both his daughter. Okay. Told you, bro. <laughs> bruh. 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 Radical, bro. Anyway. his daughter. So Mikey and Casey show up in the sewers, and they basically follow the same breadcrumb trail, leading them to Leatherhead, mm-hmm. uh, which of course brings them up to King uh, Komodo, watching Leo and Leatherhead wrestle in the sewer water. And then the funniest thing of all is for Leo to get the best of Leatherhead and make his way up, only to have King Komodo pointing a gun. <laughs> it's like, it's he like, must have, he must have took it from one of the. The Hunters, which is a really funny thing. 
oh, I've been meaning to try one of these things out. It's like, dude, that's just so funny and weird. He's just going to fucking shoot him after all. <laughs> but Mikey and Casey to the rescue. Yeah, with with a with a whack to the back of his head seems a little uh, easy. They give old King Komodo the old uh, double tap, the old level love tap, vanilla nut tap. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we see the minute the MIB uh, ambush Donnie in the uh, cemetery HQ. Yep, Donnie returns to the headquarters, and whoever these men in black guys are, they surround him. I'm very disappointed that we didn't get to see his trip to Pittsburgh. I was super hoping we would. Yeah, I mean, it does. I was like, I was like, cool. Oh, he's not. Right. Oh, denied. <laughs> Why did he go to Pittsburgh? I don't remember. And it was he like says, an issue ago. He he clearly says he's like, do you? It, like he asks, he's like, do you want to go to Pittsburgh? And everybody's like, nah. I'm trying to remember <laughs> like, what happened in Pittsburgh. He's like, do you want to go to Pittsburgh? Nah. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, for whatever reason, Donnie was gone to Pittsburgh and comes back and, like, he gets ambushed by the MIB. I'm trying to see right now. Do you want to go to Pittsburgh? He said... Doesn't say why. No, he doesn't say... Yeah, he doesn't say why. He just wants to go to Pittsburgh. Weird. Huh. Yeah, weird. Must have won a pierogi. All right. Well, at any rate... So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the end of the issue. And then it's covered. Next issue has got the, what do you call those aliens? The Triceratops aliens? Triceratons. They are awesome. Yeah. They are awesome. And the little crane guy. Yeah, dude. Which would have been a big deal for readers in that time, because they've been gone a while. Who? The Triceratons. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're they're a popular, uh... Um, group because they They're have right. a very Did they, good design. The weird thing is, I feel like the the toys never really. Did they ever make a figure? They of that? did. Ah, they must have. They made one. It, it took them a while, probably, because yeah. I don't remember it. Yeah, they made a Triceraton. Thing is, with the cartoons, I can't remember like how big of a role the Triceratons had in the show. Uh, they had a much larger role in the comics. I was going to say it was yeah. it was dramatically reduced. Like it was nowhere near as important. Cuz there was like whole like off-world alien world adventures. Yeah, they like battled in the alien arena, right? right? Yep. You're remembering yeah, remember correct. That. So what do you guys still think about hmm. turtles, especially specifically these uh 6 issues? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, yeah, six. Dude, I'm into it. Like I I'm really on board like Yeah. I it's fun. I mean, I any listeners out there that are made it this far and without buying this is crazy but uh if you haven't been buying i mean it, it really much re- very much reads like yeah savage dragon it, it, reads it's definitely in, in an era and if you're a fan at all of like like well dragon number one but like freak force or super patriot mm-hmm. you really owe it to yourself to read this comic just yeah to, you really especially do. if you've never read it because oh, yeah. it, it is like getting a taste of that era now totally agree as someone who never read this stuff like absolutely it's like getting more savage dragon like it really is more classic savage dragon yeah yeah absolutely more that four plot lines at once not even just savage dragon although it is heavily influenced you know stylistically by eric larson 
it's really more of that mid '90s sort of superhero that you just you don't see much of anymore. Correct, because it's not the '90s. <laughs> yeah, I did want to throw one thing out, just a real quick aside. So, um, if you frequent the Savage Dragon Facebook group, uh, which is highly active, I highly recommend that you do. But uh, you'll know that me and Jim went to Terrific Con, where I just Mr. Magooed my way into a bunch of black and white uh, Ninja Turtles issues. If you like, had, if I had been five seconds faster, <laughs> well, let me tell you what, um, quite a find. Um, we, I'd never seen these, and I uh, just wanted to say, uh, as somebody who was exposed to the color versions first. And then went back and read these black and white issues. Now, um, I really enjoy how this looks in black and white. Uh, I want to echo again, I had said before I'd even seen these things, that I would love to see this re- this whole thing recollected in black and white. Um, absolutely. But let me also throw out that if you're the kind of guy that likes to hunt down back issues, uh, an extra really nice treat Uh, Aside from the fact that this has all those awesome image era, early image era house ads like uh, Bone. Like I'm looking at issue one. There's a there's a ad for Bone. There's an. Oh, you found a copy of issue number one. I didn't realize that. Yeah, there's a there's an issue. There's an ad for Bone. There's an ad for Distant Soil. There's an ad for Savage Dragon Twenty Nine, and. a cool thing is that Eric Larson himself does, he like mans the letters column. And so it's kind of cool to see in these letters columns, uh, Eric replying to people and to just sort of see like his grand scheme and his impressions of things that were going on and stuff. Because it's kind of like he talks about their plans, things that we now know, you know, here in modern era that like it never came to fruition. But he was talking about how like the turtles were going to, you know, continue to move in real time the way Savage Dragon does. Mm-hmm. And it kind of helps you when you think about that. It kind of makes these turtle issues make even more sense. Yeah. Because, you know, we've said several times as we're reading these that it feels like, you know, time passes between issues. Yes. And that's exactly what's happening is that, like, you know, it's moving in real time, finger quotes. So uh, it's cool. I like reading the uh, old letters. You see names from Savage Dragon fandom that you know, like Augie, Augie DeBleek, like, you know. You know him from Freak Force. You know him if you're a Savage Dragon guy. Like It's cool seeing those old names. A really awesome nugget is in issue one. Eric does this huge... There's no letters, obviously, for issue one. So Eric's just talking about basically, you know, turtles and how he knows them and how he related to them. How, how does he relate to them? Oh, dude, it's it's awesome. It's just basically the one of the best nuggets out of this little thing is he says that uh, he remembered someone showing him the comic, like Ninja Turtles number one. Yeah. And he says, and this is a quote, he goes, I remember writing to Mike and telling him that, while I thought the comic was cool, I didn't think the creator should continue it. We all get the joke. What more needs to be said? (laughs) Ah. They showed me is the next line. So, basically it's funny, you know, just to see his, and he gives kind of like a history, like there's stuff... In his little thing where he's talking about like um, things you may not like sort of weird connections for Ninja Turtles. Like basically we all know the story of like Eastman and Laird doing the little like, you know, low run print and then like with a tax return. 
and a loan from their uncle or something like that. But then like he sort of like ties it in like with a little bit more history than that. So it's really cool. I, I recommend it highly. If you can track down those old issues, I know they're hard to find, but like they're out there and I really hope that, uh, I, I know Jim, you said that like IDW is not real likely to do this, Yeah, but oh I don't, baby, it doesn't seem like their style. I'd love it if they would, because some of this work I think looks just as cool in a completely different way in black and white as it does in color. So it's cool. I'd love to see that. But at any rate, just want to throw that in real quick. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's it for this one. Hopefully next episode, well, we got a couple of options for next episode. I'm not sure what we're doing next episode. Um, latest news is that uh, Savage Dragon 247 got bumped to mid-December, so hopefully we'll see that before the end of the year. We got a year. We know and can say at least that we got a year-end review coming up at some point. That's yeah. We plan to do a year, basically a year in Savage Dragon re- re- retrospective sometime in December. Got a got another uh, retro review in the pipeline. You'll be hearing soon. Uh, covering more, uh, actually, what does it cover? Covers the Ninja Turtles Dragon crossover right. from Rash, right? More Ninja Turtles, I forgot. And, and issue three? Is yes, that, or? yes. The, the the Mirage half of the crossover and issue number three of the ongoing. I'm I'm actually looking forward to that because I could not participate in that one. So oh, I'd yeah. like to hear what you guys had to say. You will get to hear Scott's uh, Craig Olson impression. It's pretty good. Oh, no. I'm just kidding. He doesn't do one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just I like, fucking with you. What the hell could it be? But, uh, yep. We'll be uh, getting to that hopefully by the end of the year. And then next year, it'll be the year of 300. I mean, year of 250. The Roaring Twenties, dude. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is kind of weird. I thought we'd all be dead by now. We're, well, <laughs> Jesus. the year ain't over yet. All right. Here's hoping. Hmm. Bring it together. All right. So thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.